0: This is the Blaze Radio On Demand.
1: Buck Sexton. And you say to yourself, wow, there's literally no drawback to immigration. There's no number that's too much. There's no number that's too many. So why not just have open board? Oh, that's right. That's really what they want. That's what they think the answer is. But don't call it open borders because the American people go, wow, we don't have a country anymore. We just are sort of a, as I've said, a rest stop, a workstation for people to want to come here, go, stay, whatever.
0: Buck Sexton, weekdays, noon to 2 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. And now the Blaze Radio Network presents 40 Acres and a Fool. Here's your host, Cam Edwards. Cam Edwards. Greetings from the Near
1: Frontier. Thank you so much for being a part of another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. I'm your host, Cam Edwards, coming to you from the kitchen table this time around. I was uh, really hoping that I could do the show outside this evening, but uh, it's a little warm. It's a little muggy. There are some uh, thunderstorms off to the west near uh, Lynchburg and Appomattox. I have a feeling they're heading our way. So rather than risk being rained on, struck by lightning, and uh, eaten by mosquitoes and uh, sweating through my shirt... We're here at the kitchen table. Bullet is by my side, the happiest dog on earth. He's, uh, He's got something that he's chewing on. I'm, Bullet, I hope you're supposed to have that. I hope that you're having a fantastic week. It has been a, a good week here on the farm. It was a uh, very work-filled weekend, I will say that. Uh, you know, it's been one of the things when you move to uh, a place and you have animals. You know, it's, it's it's one thing to have a dog or dogs or a cat so an animal that you can board if you go away for a weekend for instance but when you have in addition to a couple of dogs uh you have seven hogs you have seven goats you have a a passel of chickens all of a sudden leaving for an extended period of time like more than five or six hours becomes a uh it becomes a chore because somebody else has to then take care of your animals so uh, as a result, we haven't really had a vacation since we moved to the farm. In uh, this past weekend, I uh, decided, you know what, I, I I can't go. I actually had to stay and uh, finish up editing the, uh, the the book that is coming out with my friend Jim Garrity called Heavy Lifting, which is available for pre-order on uh, Amazon.com. If you just look up Heavy Lifting, Jim Garrity, Cam Edwards, uh, any combination of those uh, those words, you will find the book that is available for pre-order. It'll be out. Uh, it makes a great Christmas present coming out in late October. And I certainly would uh, hope that you would go ahead and pre-order. I think that does actually help us uh, in terms of our uh, first week sales. So uh, please, please, I can tell you after working on editing the book, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with uh, how the book is coming. Uh, Jim, of course, is a fantastic writer. I can only hope that uh, I come close to matching uh, what Jim has come up with, but uh, I think it's going to be a, uh, a fun book to read. And so I was working on that this weekend, um, knew that that was going to occupy a lot of my time. And I said, all right, well, why don't you and the kids telling Miss E, Why don't you and the kids go to the beach for the weekend? Uh, and so we found a uh, hotel room in the uh, Outer Banks and Miss E and the kids went off for a, a wonderful. Sh- uh, I was going to say shark free weekend, but it wasn't really a shark free weekend. Nobody got bit. By a shark, thankfully, but uh out on one of the piers in the outer banks uh, where folks were fishing, they did reel in a couple of sharks, and my youngest daughter, uh, who is there and who is a a very uh, sensitive soul, uh cares about uh, all living creatures, uh, asked if they were going to kill the sharks. Uh, they were pretty small, all things considered you know as far as sharks go, we're not talking jaws or anything like that uh and miss E said no, they will they'll throw them back. And my uh, very sensitive daughter said, why won't they kill them? They're sharks. So my uh, my wife had to explain that, you know, these, these sharks aren't going to eat anybody. They're not that big. We have to throw them back and wait until they get big enough to uh, devour a human before we would actually, you know, kill the shark and eat it. So while they were enjoying the beach, I was uh, at home on the farm working on the book and uh, taking care of all of the critters, which is... A lot to do. Uh, the uh, The garden did not get weeded this weekend. I did spend several hours uh, actually just kind of cutting down as much of the grass that is uh, starting to take over uh, as I could with the riding lawnmower still out of commission. It's amazing how much more you can get mowed when you're sitting on top of a gigantic blade as opposed to pushing a smaller blade through tall, wet Grass, but uh, we we got some stuff done, uh, and it was a very productive weekend. It was a very relaxing weekend for Miss E and the kids. A very productive weekend for me, and uh, couldn't ask for I guess anything more at that point. So uh, hopefully, this is going to be a relaxing weekend for uh, for all of us, uh, you included. We're going to have some friends over. We're going to have a bonfire this weekend and enjoy the uh, the last few weeks of summer. You know, with school being underway. It's this weird feeling because it definitely doesn't feel like fall outside, not in central Virginia where it's still in the mid-90s and as I said, really, really muggy. But at the same time with the kids back in school, it doesn't really feel like summer anymore either. So we're in this uh, this uh weird state, much like the country overall, uh, although in a Different fashion, I suppose. Now, coming up on the program this week, uh, we'll talk <laughs> talked about my uh, youngest daughter. Why don't we kill the sharks? in the sensitive creature, the sensitive soul who wants wants to eradicate the sharks. I was talking with another sensitive soul uh, online this week, someone who is uh, very upset about the fact that uh, I raise hogs and I uh, eat them at some point. So we'll, uh, we'll have to get into that. Miss E is going to be dropping by as well. It's been a few weeks since we've... Uh, I uh, talked to Missy, so we'll talk with her. We'll also talk about a, a different kind of farming uh, that's taking place in Virginia, aqua farming. I suppose not really aqua farming because they're going after a uh, wild fish, but they're taking a uh, an invasive species out of the James River, which is not far from where we are here in central Virginia, and they're doing it via a rather unique method. So we'll uh, talk about that. Plus, we'll get to some of your thoughts. You know, the email address is always 40acrefool at gmail.com. That's 40acrefool at gmail.com. And we'll uh, find out what's going on in your world later in the show as well. Right now, though, I have to uh, actually put the kids to bed. So we're going to take a quick timeout. We'll be back with more 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network right after this.
0: 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Coming up today on Pat and Stew. The cost was estimated somewhere between $600 billion and $1.2 trillion. And you know it we'll go over budget. Oh, no, you know. We'll go. <laughs> That'd be like $97 you know, trillion. In 800 stories, who's going to buy all that space? Does Japan really need an 800 story building? I don't know. I doubt it. it I doubt anybody, anybody does. No. You know who gets that done? Donald, Donald Trump. Trump. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Thanks so much for being a part of this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. The kids have been put to bed. The bathroom reader, which we read at bedtime, uh, has been read for this evening. Tonight it was flubbed newspaper headlines. That's what we learned about before bedtime. And now I'm back downstairs and Miss E, who has just been... Just so eager to be back on the program is it with us. Hi, how are you? Hello, darling. Thanks for joining us. What was one of the flubbed headlines? Uh, Mayor to homeless go home was uh, one of them. <laughs> there was also... Uh, yeah, I know. There was also uh, experts agree... Uh, fewer head injuries result in less brain damage or something like that. I mean, it was like well, some real of, basic stuff. And
2: I bet they spent thousands of dollars on that study.
1: I'm sure they did. Hopefully uh, not in taxpayer dollars. Yeah, well, you know how that goes. So I, uh, I I told the folks who were listening that uh, you got to enjoy a wonderful weekend uh, away for a few days. I got to ask because this was like the first time that you've... Yeah, this really th- been away, away. Well, short of the family emergencies that you know have taken you away for a day or two, but this is the first time you got to go away and enjoy yourself. Did you?
2: Well, I had, I did have my thirtieth high school reunion last October. Oh, that's true. But it wasn't quite as much fun because it was you know looking at hold of my youth going away, <laughs> and being reminded that I've been out of high school for over thirty years. Um, but no, oh, this was wonderful for for a last minute decision with an area that we have never stayed at, it couldn't have been better. The beach, the the hotel was right on the beach. They had hot breakfasts in the morning. It was for a pet-friendly hotel. There were, there were a lot of dogs, but we were on the seventh floor at a corner, so we didn't hear any, so mm. that was nice. The children behaved.
1: Which is uh, even nicer. Which is even
2: nicer because it was like a f- little more than five hours to get there because of a little bit of traffic, but about four and a half to get home. Nobody threw and everybody
1: staying in one room.
2: And we were all yeah. Nobody threw up in the truck on the way there or back. And all of us, four of us, were staying in one room. <laughs> and I had to share a bed with the ten year old who complained that I snored the first night, and then she beat me up the next night with her tossing and turning. So, but other than all those crazy weird stuff, it, it, the weather was beautiful. The water was perfect. The surf was fun. Um, yeah, it was a really nice. Did you miss beach the? Weekend. Did you
1: miss the critters? Did you miss? Did you have like that moment Actually,
2: at, no, I, no i i had I looked at my clock and i, I <laughs> on Saturday, I kind of looked at my watch around five ish and I was like, "Oh well, I hope your members defeat everybody. <laughs> That's kind of it.
1: <laughs> we fed, we watered, we mowed no, we you did, did a good job. we did a good job, so you have been busy you know i i and talking about the tomato blight. The tomatoes are still. I mean, they're the plants are blighty, but the uh, the fruits keep popping up. It's so. really
2: weird to watch because it's dying from the bottom up, but we have indeterminate tomato plants, which means right. they keep going and keep going, and so they're dying from the bottom up, but they keep growing up at the tops. And keep propagating. So yes, I picked another big bucket of tomatoes. The island is almost covered with tomatoes. So tomorrow or the next day is the going kitchen to be island. Not, the kitchen yeah. island. Uh, but tomorrow or the next day is going to be uh, canning tomatoes and making sauce.
1: Which uh, we already have uh, quite a bit stored, I think, for the for the fall and winter. We have 16. You can never have, have too much. We have but,
2: 16 quarts of sauce. Wow. Some of it has tomatoes okay, in it. Apparently,
1: maybe you can have too much. No. We're going to be eating a lot of spaghetti this winter.
2: No, it's not just spaghetti. I make very plain sauce. It's mm-hmm. just tomatoes. Um, okay, so we
1: can use this for lasagna. We
2: can use it for lasagna. We can use it for butter chicken. Oh. Which is what I use plain sauce and whole tomatoes for which is an Indian dish that mm-hmm. we really like you can we can use it for chicken tikka, chicken tikka marsala which is another dish that I tried that's a lot like butter chicken that I think the family would like um, yeah it's it, it's a lot of different okay so, so it's not
1: marinara sauce no, right it's,
2: it's a bunch of tomatoes big chunks cut down small pieces left in just rinsed with the stems removed I put them in a big pot cook it for a couple hours smash it with a potato masher and shove it through a sieve, and then cook it down until it's half. And that's it. And then when it's jarred, the ball book says you have to add either lemon juice or citric acid and salt for the preservation process, and that's the only thing I add.
1: All right. Now, besides the tomatoes, uh, we also have a lot of jars of peppers that are sort of bubbling away. What's going on with this?
2: I have eight quarts of hot and sweet peppers that I have been fermenting. And last year, I started fermented peppers and made a seriously wicked thick sriracha-style sauce. But hot, but not like turns your mouth on fire, but it had like a nice long burn and a good... And I got a lot of compliments on it. Every was
1: this the sauce that our friend Jimmy was would drink down from yes. the bottle? Yes.
2: And he has told repeat told me repeatedly, do not forget how you made that sauce. So I'm doing it exactly as I did last year with the peppers that I have. And like I said, they're hot and sweet. Um
1: I would not have described it as like a as a sriracha consistency though. To me it was more of a Texas peat. It was almost but with chunks. It was almost like a chunky salsa hot sauce.
2: No, the chunks aren't that big. To
1: me, it's... it wasn't pasty like Sriracha.
2: No, it's, but it's not like Tabasco. No, it's it not It has a... texture, but it's not chunky. It's just not as smooth as Sriracha. It's hard to describe. Because it's homemade. It's homemade. But anyway, at the end it's of awesome, the bubbly fermenting this which I think was going to be October or so, um, then I drain all off, brine off... I throw it through a food processor several times, add back some brine and some vinegar, and then I bottle it.
1: So how many quarts do we have going right now?
2: Well, it's it's two half-gallon bottles because I had a lot of peppers one weekend. Okay. And then I have four quarts, and then I have one quart from last year. It's over 40 weeks old. So that's (sighs) going to be the control to add. So every year I'm going to keep a jar and let it age, and that's going to add the fun extra funky.
1: Are you ever going to do a jar just with that reserve or anything?
2: Well, I have a, a jar of peppers that I've called wedding anniversary peppers because I made it on the first of the uh, August uh-huh. on our wedding anniversary. So I might just let that one go for a long time.
1: And maybe we'll open it up and next, make hot sauce next year. for next anniversary? Sure. Okay.
2: Year old fermented you- <laughs> peppers. <laughs> hey, the recipe said it, two weeks and over. And good kimchi is buried for years. So, this bubbles. You've seen it.
1: Oh, yeah. It's, you can hear
2: it psss, coming yeah. out of the jar. It's fermenting. It's pretty crazy. It's yummy. It so what kind of peppers
1: do we have in there?
2: We have Hungarian cheese, which are a sweet pepper. Okay. We have some poblanos, which are also sweet and thin-skinned. We have habaneros, serranos, jalapenos...
1: Do you have any of Tabascos?
2: Santa Fe Grande Tabascos. It's a Tabasco-type pepper called a dragon tongue. Um, there's a random oda, which is a sweet little purple pepper, because I threw in for the color and it was pretty. And some other yellow, small, hot pepper. Oh, a uh, 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 banana pepper, hot banana pepper. Okay. Wow, that's a lot of peppers. There's a lot of different peppers in these. And not all the jars have all the peppers. So what is going to happen is, the that's why I'm going to age them for a while, it's going to be all in the mix. Okay. So that I've got, because some of them have a lot of habanero peppers, and those are pretty hot. Those are the hottest ones that I have in my garden. Right. And then some don't, because of whatever is coming up ripe at the time. So it's all going to get mixy-mixed together and pureed that way.
1: Cannot wait. It'll be uh, a good Christmas present. Yes. Right along with uh, copies of Heavy Lifting by uh, Jim Garrity and Cam Edwards.
2: There you go. Hot sauce and hot talk.
1: (laughs) Maybe we'll give away some. I have to check, like, you know, all of the food regulations to see what we can give away here. Without running into trouble. We can sell we can sell this Actually, at a farmer's market. So I, I would can imagine that we could give market. this away in a contest, right? As long as
2: we have the same label disclaimer that it was prepared in a farm kitchen without overseeing of the local state blah, 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 blah. But I get that information off of one of the labels from the farmer's market.
1: Okay. But uh, yeah,
2: it's fermented.
1: Right. So... Yeah, so it's not going to give you food poisoning.
2: No, and then I could probably even pressure can it, but then I couldn't put it in the cute little bottles that I want to order.
1: Well, you, you know. But I can
2: shrink wrap those.
1: Presentation is everything, yeah, so.
2: got to have it in a cute little bottle. All
1: right, well, maybe we'll, uh, we'll give away some hot sauce around Christmas time then, or we maybe can, even Thanksgiving.
2: We can do hot sauce and pickles. I don't know, whatever. We don't have as many pickles. Our cucumbers did not do as well.
1: No, okay, they did not do as well as we were hoping, but they did better, better than, than they, they did, did last, last year. year.
2: Yes, <laughs> so
1: so Everything I, is relative.
2: Yeah, I did make three different types of pickles and then um, some sweet relish.
1: Which I don't think I've had yet.
2: It's yummy. I've actually had it on a hot dog. And you know, you know me, I don't really eat hot dogs. Right. That was the control. It's a nice, sweet relish.
1: All right, well, maybe with friends coming over this weekend, we can uh, grill up some hot dogs and have some homemade relish.
2: Oh, speaking of friends coming over this weekend, I went ahead and started a brisket with some rub. I figured I'm going to go ahead and put that on some low, cold smoke on Saturday serve it up for sandwiches.
1: Yes, please. All right. All right. So one more thing before we let you go here. Yes. Uh, It should be noted, very pleased to report, we haven't lost any chickens
2: in a while. Since they have been caged up in their chicken wire prison... Uh,
1: <laughs> you make it sound like Chickmo Or well, something it's, like it's that not where bad. It's bad I
2: mean they, they have a 30 second em- uh, Attention span So they don't realize That they're in a smaller space But they're no longer Free ranging around the yard Which means Our yard is no longer The local Kentucky Fried Chicken For the foxes Yes uh, But They are enjoying their new space and every day they've actually worn the grass down. I've actually moved it a couple inches one way or the other. They are going down in that little, what I can call as a chicken habit trail.
1: The chicken tunnel. The
2: chicken tunnel. It's 44 feet long of two by four inch uh, hardware hard wire fence, welded wire fence Mm -hmm. for the people who buy fencing. Um, I used a six foot tall piece and bent it into a Flat bottomed round top tunnel
1: Yep We've got more too So we'll, uh, we'll be adding to that
2: Yes And we've got the electricians From the local uh, power, company. power company They've been working on um, Putting in new lines And they had a spool But they have a bit of those Wire spools So I'm going to turn Turn that Current First I'm going to start it As a portable chicken coop To put in the broilers But once the broilers get bigger It's going to be a wheelhouse I'm just going to put that as a corner in the garden, put the chicken tunnel to it. That'll be another big space for them to go in. Mm-hmm. And then I can just add the chicken tunnel down from the other side because eventually I want it to surround my entire garden.
1: Yes. Eventually we should just have chicken habit trails like all around the farm, you know. Just- oh,
2: I think they would love it. And then we could have more chickens.
1: <laughs> chicken tunnels for acres and acres. All right. We need to take a, a quick time out. When we come back. I, have a, I, have a, you know, we, I talk a lot about books on this uh, program, books that I've been reading. I'm actually going to talk about a textbook that my uh, son has been reading here because I think I might have identified one of the problems with why our kids aren't learning history. It's boring. It's boring what they're reading. This is awful. I'm going to provide an example of this after a, a quick timeout. We've got your thoughts as well coming up later in the program, so stick around. There's more 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network on the way.
0: and a fool with cam edwards on the blaze radio network Don't miss The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. This is really difficult for Hillary. Hillary
1: and Bill, they are in a situation they are not used to. See, they used to automatically get a pass from these progressive groups that are based on race, things like Black Lives Matter. They were already the candidates because
0: they were the extremists. Now somebody has out-extremed them, and they got to get in there and fight for their vote. I mean, this is a perfect spectacle of what America has become. The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday mornings, 6 to 9 Eastern, on The Blaze Radio Network. <laughs> Welcome back. To 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network.
1: Thanks again for being a part of this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. Uh, So uh, I do want to talk about uh, history here just a little bit, but uh, ran across a pretty interesting story uh, in the uh, state of Virginia about the uh, uh, blue catfish, which is not native to the state of Virginia, but was introduced into the waters of the James River. Back in the uh, 1970s and has since sort of taken over uh, to the point that I believe now the record uh, catfish uh, taken from the Blue River, from the uh, James River, is uh, over 100 pounds that was found a a couple of years ago. And so they're trying to do something about the uh, blue catfish. Uh, in the James River. It's already gone down past Richmond. It wasn't supposed to get past Richmond. It's gotten past Richmond. It's gone down into the uh, Tidewater area and now into some of the estuaries around the uh, Chesapeake Bay. Um, it was described as the bingle tiger of uh, of the river fish because it just eats everything. And so the state of Virginia would really like to do something about uh, these blue catfish. And they've, uh, they've, they've given a permit uh, to one guy to sort of test out uh, electro fishing for catfish and it appears to be working really well. Uh, this guy is, uh, again, the only guy uh, doing this in the state of Virginia using a very low electric current. Apparently it's, it's so low. It doesn't even, uh, shock a lot of the, the other fish or stun a lot of the other fish. But it really affects these catfish, and so you just run that little electric current through the water. The uh, fish rise up to the top of the river. They're stunned. They're not killed. They're just stunned. You're able to scoop them up with a net. Uh, it is not. Uh, uh, this is not sporting. Let's say this is this is not challenging, uh, really, unless it's how many fish you can scoop up before they start flopping around and swim back down to the uh, to the bottom of the river. Uh, but it's 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 necessary. It's needed because these uh, catfish are. Wreaking havoc on the uh, the the uh, native ecosystem, uh, and they're hoping that they can turn this into uh, you know a, a viable business here, selling the catfish for uh, human consumption, maybe for uh, for animal feed. I just thought it was fascinating uh, that they're doing this. Don't know that it's going to take off uh, more and more uh, along the uh, James River and in the uh, Chesapeake Bay, or if this is just going to be sort of a one-off program, but. Uh, it is good to see experimentation like this uh, taking place in my home state of Virginia. Uh, we should do some more experiment, I think, with maybe the uh, the history books that our kids are reading, because the, uh, the one that I'm looking at here with my uh, teenage son kind of sucks, I have to say. Uh, you know, I am a big history lover, and I worry that we live in a, a day and age in which we are uh, either, uh, you know, in the case of ISIS— Uh, We have groups that are destroying our history, just absolutely eradicating it. Uh, And in many cases, we are simply ignoring our history. We are losing touch with our history because we fail to see it as important. Uh, And that is such a short-sighted point of view, such a dangerous point of view that I, I hate to see it become commonplace. But part of the problem is we don't do a good job of making history interesting, at least in school right i mean the history channel may do a good job of making history interesting but you're also going to be watching like you know the ancient alien stuff and the quest for the lost giants and stuff like that so uh, school has begun and uh this year my uh son in high school is learning uh, history from the 1500s to uh the present day the uh, the history book actually has a history channel logo on the cover how about that uh, and, and so he's reading about the Reformation right now. This is his, his homework. So I just took a look uh, at the uh, uh, just a, a quick page on the uh, Reformation in England. Uh, and and I want to read to you this is, this is I'm going to read you two sentences from this textbook uh, talking about Queen Elizabeth and uh, restoring Protestantism uh, to the uh, to the people of England. And you know there was—I mean, this was a, a a civil war. This was a religious war. This was a tumultuous time. This was chaos. This was anarchy. This was a breakdown uh, in the struggle between two competing forces in England. I mean, this was a a pretty momentous time. Um, and here's how it's described in the history book. At the same time, now oh, here we go. Uh, some Protestants pushed for Elizabeth to make more far-reaching church reforms. At the same time, some Catholics tried to overthrow Elizabeth and replace her with her cousin, the Catholic Mary, Queen of Scots. Elizabeth also faced threats from Philip II, the Catholic King of Spain. That's it. Uh, And then we go, Elizabeth faced other difficulties. Money was Mary, the whole struggle with Mary, Queen of Scots and Queen Elizabeth and Mary, Queen of Scots being in prison for 18 years before eventually being assassinated. And there being a plot to overthrow uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth uh again this was imagine what that would have been like to have lived through this period of time where you've got this civil war you've got this struggle between the catholics uh, and the uh, the Protestants uh, over the uh, the future of England. Who is going to wear the crown of England? Right, uh, Queen Elizabeth is on the throne, restoring Protestantism. Uh, all of a sudden, you've got uh, Mary Queen of Scots, who's uh, uh, back in England, uh, taken prisoner by Queen Elizabeth for eighteen years. She's I, I'm just in two sentences. Two sentences. You could have a half a dozen uh, historic novels. Written for this time period, you could have HBO miniseries that uh, I think maybe you almost did, right? With well, you got the Tudors, so a little bit uh, earlier than uh, the Elizabethan period. But you know, this is this is the stuff that HBO series are made of. And we get two sentences uh, in a high school textbook sucking all of the drama out of the story. You will read more about Elizabeth's reign in chapter five. Uh, so maybe maybe they're saving the drama for Chapter 5, but I doubt it. I really, really doubt it. So, again, this year, um, the nice thing is I talked to my son about the stuff that he's learning in history. So, uh, as he was telling me, this is boring. I I said, it's not. It's it's really not that it's boring. The information is being presented in a boring way, but the, the story itself is not boring. The uh, figures from history, uh, both the ones that are mentioned in your textbook and the many, many uh, figures from that time period who don't merit mention in your textbook, they're incredibly interesting. You know, these were real human lives uh, that were going through this struggle in this period of time where everything was topsy-turvy and you didn't know really what you believed your faith. Uh, was cause for suspicion at the very least, and maybe cause for death, depending on who was in power. Uh, and it didn't just res- uh, radiate from the, uh, the 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 crown there, uh, the Queen of England, whoever that might be. These dramas and these conflicts played out in town, and village, and city all across uh, England and in Scotland. There was no way to avoid. This controversy and this chaos. So, I, I, hopefully, he'll do some, uh, some extra reading. Uh, maybe, uh, pique the curiosity a little bit here, but, uh, man, I really hope this textbook gets better here over the course of the semester. Otherwise, my poor son is going to be, uh, doing twice as much reading because I'm going to make him, uh, read right alongside his textbook. Uh, my favorite book covering this time period. I think I've even talked about it in one of the other 26 uh, episodes that we've had here on the program, but it is it's it's one of my favorite history books ever. Uh Jacques Barzun wrote the book uh, From Dawn to Decadence, and it is a history of the Western world uh from 1500 to the year 2000. Uh give or take a year or two and Jacques Barzun was uh Jacques Barzun was in his 90s when he wrote this book. I mean, he was a uh, professor going back I think to the 1920s was when he wrote his first book. Uh, And this was sort of a a culmination and a summation of uh, all of his accumulated knowledge over the decades. And there's some fascinating character studies, again, of a lot of people in history you may have heard of and may not have heard of. uh, But the arc of history that he describes, again, from dawn to decadence, from the the, the dawning of the Renaissance uh, and this uh, flourishing uh, of art and of uh, literature and of science uh, and of exploration to now and to what he would consider to be uh, the decadence of a, uh, uh, I don't want to say a dying age, but the, uh, the, the decadence of an end of an era, of an end of an age. Um, maybe the new one is uh, is is even better than the Renaissance. Maybe we're just getting ready for another Renaissance, or maybe we're uh, sliding into a new Dark Age. Who knows? But uh, it is it is a fantastic book. It is uh, if you've not read From Dawn to Decadence, if you are looking for that general overview of Western history, uh, maybe you're thinking, I mean, I didn't read about this stuff in uh, high school. I didn't read about this stuff in college. Uh, From Dawn to Decadence is it's 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 very well written. It is. Um, Uh, very worried doesn't even really describe it It, it's it's gripping in a way that you know a a book covering 500 sweeping years of history uh rarely is and maybe maybe it it has caused me to expect too much from high school textbooks but uh, i i know i know that we can tell these stories in a better way than uh giving two sentences to this type of conflict Imagine the history books a uh, hundred years from now covering the election of 2016 in two sentences. <laughs> it'll happen. It, I, it'll happen if they have textbooks. Maybe they'll just be like neural implants by then. Or maybe we'll be back to writing on stone tablets. Who knows? All right. When we come back after a, a quick time out here on this edition of 40 Acres in a Full, we are going to get to your thoughts about. Uh, recycling and fair food and chickens and being a farmer and volunteered veggies stick around we've got a lot more Uh, oh see i almost did it i almost did it almost at nra news cam and company that's the day job but i'm here at the kitchen table and it's uh, getting close to bedtime here so this is not nra news cam and company if you want nra news cam and company you can check it out weekdays, live at 2 p.m. Eastern on NRAnews.com, midnight Eastern on Sirius X and Patriot 125, 9 p.m. Pacific, on demand on iHeartRadio, on demand on the NRA app, and, of course, you can download it on iTunes as well. But this is not NRA News Cam and Company. This
0: is 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Make sure you check out Matt Walsh On Demand. That's my podcast where we talk about uh, all kinds of things from stuff to other stuff. No, really, it's great. Listen, I'm I'm telling you, you got to listen. Go to TheBlaze.com slash radio. That's TheBlaze.com slash radio where you'll find links to the show via SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. And at home or on the go, all episodes are free. Okay, theblaze.com slash radio. Do it now. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards returns now on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. We are
1: here on the near frontier in episode 27 of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. Cam Edwards, your host. And Lena wrote in a couple of days ago. Lena has been listening since episode two. And Lena, thank you for doing that. It's a pleasure to hear from you. She says, uh, it's nice to hear about another's adventures into small-time farming. And Lena said something that made me actually laugh. Uh, Even when I type that, she said, it makes me cringe a little. When does one really become a farmer? Lena, I know exactly what you mean. I do. Lena said, uh, is it when you have your first chickens? Or when you've chased your pigs around your three acres trying to get them back into their pen? Or digging up the 100th big berth of stone from your garden patch? She said last year, my family purchased three acres on the edge of town equipped with two long rows of horse stables, a small walking arena and two large shops. Oh yes. and a very tiny house. We moved our chickens in and began renovating the home. Lena says we've had our ups and downs, including losing all my old chickens to a pair of dogs and having to replace the well pump. It's a learning adventure. We remind ourselves every day. We currently have 30 chickens, Five pigs, three teenagers, three cats, two turkeys, one dog, and one rabbit. So, Lena asks, does that make me a farmer? I don't know. When I'm putting out the irrigation siphon tubes in the pasture, I feel like a farmer. But when I'm at the local farm store and I can't figure out what parts I need for an electric fence, I sure don't feel like a farmer. Lena says, most people who are quote-unquote real farmers are kind to me when I ask them questions, but I sometimes feel like it's some exclusive club that you have to be born into. So listening to another person who is slogging through the process at the same time is encouraging. Thank you, says Lena. And and Lena, listen, you're you're right. I I wonder this all the time. As a matter of fact, I think on my Twitter bio not long ago, I took out a small farmer. Uh because I I I, I feel the same way sometimes. Like, okay, so my neighbor who has something like more than five hundred acres and he's got his herd of cattle, and they've got their large scale uh, chicken operation that uh, just went in not long ago. Um, okay, he's clearly a farmer, right? Like, I'm not even I'm not even selling my food at the uh, farmers market this summer. So, am I really a farmer? Am I uh, a guy with a big garden and uh, you know some some animals that he's raising for food? What what does that make me? Because I don't feel like a farmer. But at the same time, Lena, you know, a lot of, I mean, the majority of people who farm have off-farm income. That's what they depend on, right? So uh, being a full-time farmer can't be the only qualification because that would take away like 90% of the people who farm. I, I don't really think that it is an acreage issue. Uh, that well, you have to have you know at least a hundred acres to consider yourself a farmer. I we we talked about this on the last program. I mean, there's a uh, there are people getting it done on an acre of land, uh, and they're more than just gardening, right? They they are doing some real farming. What I think, uh, Lena, and I don't. Again, I'm with you. I don't. I don't. I'm a I'm a would be, wanna be, hope to be farmer i'm a uh, a guy who is learning about farming uh while living on a farm but i you're right i don't feel comfortable saying i am a farmer because i don't feel like i've earned that title yet but i'd like to feel that way one day so maybe that's what maybe that's what we say lena that we're learning how to farm uh, we're not going to school for it. It's a school of hard knocks and uh, personal experience, but we are learning to farm. Kind of like Pink Floyd, uh, learning to fly. Now, Lena did write in with some advice on broilers. Uh, Missy, e, you know, talked about uh, the broilers that we're going to be getting here in the fall. Uh, Lena said, um, I heard you mention the last episode about uh, trying not raising broiler chickens. She said, I wanted to give you my take on the process. We purchased our 50 broilers last spring from our local hatchery. And we kept them down in our basement for the first few weeks, as it was uncommonly wet this spring. We moved the chickens out to a stable to acclimate them to the cooler weather, and they were growing really well. One thing was really apparent. They loved to eat, and with that, they loved to poop. So, Lena says, now I could see why one would want to get these guys out to pasture so quickly. I also noticed the weight gain, even in the first few weeks. They're heavy little buggers compared to my laying hens. Lena says, my husband had prepared a chicken tractor that was an appropriate size for our group. We moved them out when the weather improved. First note, these chickens really don't like to be scratched, Lena said, or picked up. Lena said and they'll scratch like a cat and scream like a banshee. They settled into the tractor fine and began to do what they like to do, eat. The directions are to keep the food bowls filled 24/7 and they will eat 24/7 truly. Lots of food, lots of water, lots of poop. If the food was gone by morning when I would feed them, they would step on each other to get to the food. I had to pull a few out for wound care and isolate them because of gashes on their bare spots from their mates stepping on them and cutting them. They eat, they drink, a lot. They poop and sleep, repeat. We moved the tractor every morning and gave them fresh ground. They poop a lot, Lena says. <laughs> you keep you keep reinforcing this, Lena, like you don't understand how much poop it is we're actually talking about, Cam. I really can't impress on uh, you enough how much poop we are discussing. Uh, she said they would uh, drink till the water would bubble up out of their throat. As time went on, she said, I found myself disgusted with these birds. She said, please keep in mind, I love my laying chickens. They make me laugh every day. They clean up the spiders in my yard. They give me fertilizer and eggs. I love the little sounds they make and the declarations of accomplishment. I laid my egg. I laid my egg. So when I got to this point of disgust with the broilers, I was bothered. These were not chickens. These were beasts, she says. Pooping beasts that sliced and smothered the roommates. I then went to the Internet. Lena says, there too, I found people disgusted with these animals. Too fad to do anything but laying their crap, was what I read along with other derogatory comments. I began to get discouraged until I came across a YouTube video from a woman who raised her broilers out in the open. What? Out in the open? I watched big fat chickens running around her yard area chasing bugs and eating grass. She didn't feed them all day, only twice a day, and she let them roam freely. Hallelujah, Lena says. A broiler chicken that was a chicken. So I started that day. I pulled all of the chickens out of the tractor and I left the tractor door open so they could come and go. I put the water outside the tractor and I gave them a shady spot to roam under some trees near my chicken spot. Some took to their freedom. Others were a little intimidated, Lenin writes. They were all escorted back inside every evening. I fed mine three times a day, enough for them to be satisfied and walk away from the food to get water. And then I picked up the food to encourage foraging, and they did. They waddled around, they ate grass, they chased bugs, they slept out on a a clean patch of grass. When the spot under the tractor got soiled, I moved it over to a clean spot, but still within walking distance to the trees. They were chickens again. They made me smile, running up to me. And I had a peace of mind that these chickens led a happy life. Of course, butchering day, Lena writes is always bittersweet, but the thought that they were happy chickens made it easier. We'll be doing another batch next year. The meat is yummy and well with the work. By the way, she says a chicken plucker is worth its weight in gold, but that's another story. Uh, we, you know, we have uh, Lena, one of those chicken pluckers that uh, you can, we bought it on Amazon and it attaches. It's a, it's a drill attachment. So it's not like the, drum kind that you put in and then uh, no, you actually hold this and you put it up to the chicken and it's got all these rubber fingers and blah, 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 and it uh, it works pretty well uh, it's it's kind of bizarre but it uh, it does work fairly well uh, Lena also writes, I'd love to hear more from Miss E and her culinary adventures God bless you and your endeavors uh, Lena writing in from uh, Idaho and uh, Lena, listen I uh, hope that you did enjoy Miss E appearing on the uh, program this evening and I have to thank you again for uh, this delightful letter, uh, I really appreciate it, and I hope that you will take the time uh, to write again in the future. You know, what you describe about uh, the, the broilers and running around and having that space, and all of a sudden they're not these just fat, slug beasts that are you know, laying in their own excrement and uh, and then eating and getting fat, and, and you're getting disgusted so that by the time it comes time to actually uh, take these chickens and turn them into food. You're not really sure that you want to eat them at that point. Um, that's actually really, really interesting. You know, I, I do wish that we could let our chickens roam free. Um, I really do. Cause it was cool to, to watch them roam around, but, uh, they were getting eaten. (laughs) They were getting eaten Had such an alarming clip that uh, something had to be done, which is why I like the chicken tunnel. Uh, because it, it does give them that, that freedom of movement. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm never going to be one to uh, cram my animals into uh, a tiny little amount of space, right? My, my pigs have room to run around and get fresh grass, and we're constantly moving the pig fence. We just moved the, uh, the youngest goats. Uh, out into the yard and they now have fresh trees to nibble on and fresh grass. We move the uh, the goat fence around. Uh, we're getting ready to actually separate some of the the girls and the boys and move Lola the lamb uh, in with a couple of other ones. So they're constantly getting that that fresh grass and they constantly have that open space that they can they can run around as fast as they want uh, and they've got a big circle of, you know, they've got hundreds of feet uh in their a uh, pen to uh, uh to enjoy and and I like that that's important to me i mean one of my uh, sayings here is happy hogs make tasty bacon right and happy chickens lay tasty eggs and and happy chickens make tasty chicken at some point um i, I don't know if you can honestly taste the difference but uh but i think if you're raising your own food you can taste the difference uh, because you feel better about eating that that food. You know I got into this Lena with a uh a, an individual on Twitter uh earlier this week who was uh, uh disgusted uh about my uh, a a pro bacon posting. We all know this this bacon craze is overdone. You need to stop talking about bacon and bacon is disgusting. And uh I I usually I don't really reply cuz I don't think fighting on the internet is worth it, but I was uh I just had to say something. I didn't want to start a fight. I just said, you misspelled delicious. That's all. You know, he, maybe autocorrect. Maybe he, he he thought it was going delicious, and all of a sudden it went to disgusting. Apparently not. Uh, no, then we had a little bit of a back and forth about uh, eating pigs and uh, uh, eating children. Apparently, he brought up cannibalism. Like, he went there immediately. Oh, well, if you eat bacon, well, you know what else? Some people are cannibals. They say it tastes like pork. I mean, I don't even understand where the guy's point was, but he immediately went to cannibalism. And you know, here's the thing: I, I understand. I understand that there are people who care very deeply about animals, and they can't imagine uh, eating an animal. That just it just bothers them, and they. What's even worse, though, is that they can't understand how somebody like Lena can care for an animal, and yet when the time comes, can process that animal and can eat that animal. They, they, they can't figure out that mindset. But, you know, I almost, I, I didn't want to get into the, with this guy. Maybe I should have, but uh, Twitter is just such an imperfect medium to uh, to have a uh, an actual conversation with someone. But I wanted to tell him, you know, every meal that you eat, whether it's tofu, soy, kale, quinoa, whatever it is, something had to die. For every bite that you take. It, it might not have been a cow with big eyes and, uh, you know, a, a soft uh, coat of fur. It may not have been a pig with a pink snout and big floppy ears. But something had to die in order for you to put food on your plate. That food, in fact, used to be alive. It may have been a carrot in the ground. May have been a rabbit, may have been a, uh, a a cow or a pig or a chicken or a fish, but whatever it was, unless you're eating dirt, you are eating something that used to be alive. It is no more, and you are gaining sustenance from that. Some people really have a hard time accepting that, uh, but you know, it, it is a fact of life that in order for you to live, in order for you to eat, in order for you to sustain yourself, something is dying. When you do accept that, and again, some people just really can't, and they'll make excuses and say, well, you know, it's, it's somehow it's better. It's better for me to have a veggies, be, better, better morally for me to have a vegetable than for me to have a piece of bacon. I, I don't agree with that. Uh, as uh, uh, Joseph Campbell said, you're just, Picking food that can't run away, as opposed to the uh, hunter, who uh, who let's say uh, uh, picks food that that can run away and is actually uh, kind of challenging to get. And I think the important thing is to be mindful of where your food comes from. Uh, and when you're raising your own food, line, you know this. It's it's impossible not to be mindful. I mean, you talk about that bittersweet feeling when it comes time to process your chickens. And I can tell you, um, you know, we haven't done our own hogs yet, but it's a very bittersweet feeling to see those hogs go off uh, with the uh, with the processor. And, you know, again, we've got to get it done soon here before uh, deer season starts. But um, if we're going to do it ourselves, but I maybe I go to the processor and, and, and assist this time around. But. Uh, more and more, I just keep thinking, you know, this is my responsibility. This is my job. Uh, to uh, I've taken care of this animal for so long that when it comes time uh, for that animal's life to end, that I need to be responsible for that, too. And that's not something that I take lightly. It's certainly not something that I will enjoy doing. Uh, it'll be hard because I do care about these animals, you know, e- even though they are a food source. Uh, they are also living creatures, and they are under my care, uh, and I want them to have the best life possible while they are here. Not not, not just because happy hogs make tasty bacon, uh, but because, again, they are animals under my care. Well, if you really cared about them, then you wouldn't be eating them. I know some vegan is out there thinking that. Um, you're wrong. You're wrong because if I if I didn't eat them, I wouldn't have any reason to have these animals in the first place. There would be no reason for these hogs to ever exist. You know, there are about 3,000 registered American guinea hogs left in the United States. This used to be one of the most common uh, 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 farmyard hogs in the in the country. There were I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of these hogs in farms all across the United States. Now there are 3,000 registered American guinea hogs. Why? Because they're not big enough for commercial pork processors. They're, they're too lardy, they're too fatty. Uh, they make great bacon. But there's no reason for these hogs to exist anymore beyond it's cool to have them around. It, they taste delicious. People will, uh, will pay good money uh, to eat heritage pork. Right? Uh, like like heirloom tomatoes. Um, I mean, there are lots of reasons to uh, to have these hogs. But from a practical, pragmatic standpoint, from a business standpoint, we're not going to go back to uh, to American guinea hogs as the, the standard. And so if it weren't for people who actually, again, cared about these critters, uh, but also wanted to eat them, the American guinea hog would die out. So would a lot of other heritage breeds. Maybe the animal rights activists would say that's a good thing, but I don't know. <laughs> I mean, at that point, you know, when the animal rights activists are saying, "Well, good, let the species be eradicated," we're living in a bizarre world. If that's really what they're saying, I think again, I, I maybe they'll continue to disagree. But uh, I, I feel comfortable with the decision that I have made, which is uh, continuing to raise these. Uh, Hogs and and, and even experiment uh, with with, uh, other breeds that are also uh, heritage breeds to continue raising these critters, to be good to them when they are on my farm, and to be grateful for them when they are on my plate. All right, before we uh, run out of time here, I do want to get to a couple more emails at uh, 40acrefool at gmail.com. But Lena, really, again, thank you very much for the... uh, the very the very thoughtful letter. I hope that I hear from you again soon. Uh, my friend John, I shouldn't say my friend. We've not actually met, but uh, uh, my my near neighbor John, uh, who we have uh, corresponded with before, but have have yet to actually meet in person, uh, says uh, regarding the the local dump and the uh, fact that we are are told to separate our glass bottles by color and then throw them into the same dumpster. And I asked why 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 are we doing this? John says, you know, it's just it's just the county. He says that would be the answer to your question by the non partitioned container for the three different glass colors. I don't know. He says maybe it's a feel good thing for the recyclers and the whole thing gets dumped in with the rest of the trash into the landfill. I don't know. As for the uh, favorite fair, John says, that would be the field day of the past, which is coming up September 18th, 19th and 20th this year, 14 miles West of Richmond. So on the right, uh, the, the, the it's on the left side of Richmond if you're looking at the map, but it's on the right side, as opposed to the right and wrong side. It's on the closer side uh, of Richmond. It says lots of old machinery. Okay, this is going to sound really cool. So again, it's fielddayofthepast.net. This is the website. Lots of old machinery, steam powered, diesel, gas, tractors, rock crushers, sawmills, more tractors, antique cars and greasy fair food. John says, it is the only event that will get me to congregate with more people than are in the Farmville Walmart on a given Saturday afternoon. Uh, that is awesome. All right, well, listen, if you're going to be there, John, then this might be the spot that you and I actually get a chance to meet because that sounds pretty cool. John also says, uh, it's been crazy busy around here. Uh, his wife, Felicity, has been designing and then planning a home for the in-laws so they can move to the property which is uh, dialed up the stress level to 11 for the past few months. Well, listen, John, uh, and John says, I always enjoy the podcast. Thank you for listening. If there is anything that I can do for you to uh, help alleviate the stress level, maybe get it down to a nine or so, let me know. You want to hang out. I promise the uh, uh, my place, your place, not nearly as busy as the uh, Farmville Walmart on a Saturday afternoon. So uh, you just let me know. It is good to hear from you. And again, I... Wish you all the best with the uh, with the in-laws moving in. I can imagine that that would be uh, upping the uh, the stress factor a little bit. So, like I said, if there's anything I can do for you, John, just let me know. It's uh, it's really, really good to hear from you and Felicia, and hope that we uh, talk again very, very soon. Uh, Arturo, writing in as well, says, uh, Cam, you know, it's funny you should mention those volunteer tomatoes, the the volunteer plants, the plants that just sprung up when you didn't plant them. Arturo says, uh, we ended up, as it turns out, with a volunteer Cherry tomato plant, which is doing pretty well. Sprouted for me completely unexpected in a somewhat inconvenient spot under the beds. Had to scramble and improvise a support to keep it off the ground. Uh, Good luck, Arturo says, with the Brussels sprouts. You've given up after two failed attempts. Second time around, the plant grew okay. We never got any sprouts to form on the stalk. And uh, Arturo says, thanks for the tomato recommendations. I will definitely pass them along to Miss H, (laughs) who's the actual farmer in the family. Arturo says, I just do the heavy lifting and maintain the infrastructure as always happy farming well happy farming to you too artro it is great to hear from you great to hear from all of you and i uh, hope that we hear from even more of you on the next edition of 40 acres in a fool that'll be coming up next week the email address as always 40acrefool at gmail.com and make sure that uh, you know if, if once a week it just isn't enough time for you we do nra news cam and company as i mentioned each and every weekday 2 p.m eastern on NRAnews.com live, midnight Eastern, 9 Pacific on Sirius X and Patriot 125. uh, On demand through the NRA app and through iHeartRadio. And you can download us from iTunes as well. Until we talk again, be safe, have fun, live a little, learn a lot. Not from your kid's history textbook, but uh, from somewhere. And we'll talk to you again soon here on another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool.
0: You're listening to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. The Blaze Radio Network.